right. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Romans chapter 8. And uh, if you're new with us today, we're so glad you're here with us, worshiping with us. We have been going through the epistle to the Romans week after week after week, and we're somewhere, you know, in the teens by this time, and uh, it's been a great ride. And now we are at chapter 8. And chapter 8 is a game changer. It is, it is the most beautiful chapter in, in all of Scripture, in, in, in the case of some. As Philip Jacob Spencer says, if Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans a precious stone, chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. And if you were to say that today, you would say it would be the bling, right? It's the bling. So I have this imagery in my head that when I asked my wife to, to marry me, I gave her an engagement ring and that, that moderately sized rock that I was able to purchase was given to her, and as she drove down the road, she said that she just kept looking at it as she was holding the steering wheel, and I was like, you're supposed to watch the road. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to wreck. But she's like, the sun's just coming in, and it's just glistening off that ring, and uh, that's, that's the scripture we're about to get into. We've been walking through this. You got the ring, you've got the diamond, and now you're going to get some bling, okay? So um, I just feel like it makes me cooler if I say it that way. Martin Luther said this, because our flesh has not been killed, we are still sinners. But because we believe in Christ and have the beginnings of the Spirit, God so shows us his favor and mercy that he neither notices nor judges such sins. Rather, he deals with us according to our belief in Christ until sin is killed. What a remarkable thought that those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned. Paul, writing this, coming out of chapter 6 and chapter 7, has been giving us this wrestling match with the flesh, that though I've been justified, I still wrestle with sin. And he gets to this point of saying, in chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we talked about that last week, we talked about the imagery of, of Roman... Uh, crucifixion and how even they would take someone who had murdered someone else and they would tie the dead body to the murderer and they would then have to carry around this dead body until it infected them. Who will free me from this body of death is the imagery that we get that the old man, the old me is dead but yet I still feel like I'm carrying him around and it is infecting my very thoughts, my very actions and the things that I want to do, I can't do. Are you with me? This is where Paul is and then he's going to get to this point in chapter 8. So today, as I read these verses, if you're struggling in your walk with Christ, let Romans 8 minister to your soul. If you're struggling with sin, let Romans 8 be words of liberation and freedom. If you're struggling with your assurance of salvation, may God grant you peace. If you're struggling with guilt from your past, let these words heal you. I can remember going back to the church I grew up in. Sorry, I'm a little teary today, okay? So you just have to get, you just have to get on the board with me, all right? I brought some tissue. All right, so we're going to need it. Um, I was asked to go back and be the youth pastor of the church I grew up in. So this is the church that saw me be the rebellious teenager that I was. Uh, I was a kid who claimed to know Christ. I grew up in a youth group, 
And uh, I would sit in the back row of the youth group and make fun of all the uh, other Christian kids that were in the youth group. I was that kid, and, and then all of a sudden I've called, I've been called back to be the youth pastor, and in order to be the youth pastor, I've got to stand before the entire congregation and give, give a sermon. And I remember giving that sermon and thinking, what do these people know about me? What did they remember from my past? Man, if they really knew who I was, they would not want me to be this person. And I can't tell you what I preached that day, and neither can anyone else, right? That's kind of how it works. But at the end of that sermon, an old man came up to me, and he put his arm on his shoulder, and he said, Son, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the message that you get today. That no matter how you walked in here, I want to be the old man who puts my hand on your shoulder and says, Son, daughter, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as I wipe again with my tissue, let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the flesh, of the Spirit. For the, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Piper said the Bible is the greatest book and Romans would be the greatest letter. Many would say that this chapter is the greatest chapter. Piper would go on to say Romans chapter 8 is so dense and so constant with good news, good news that is so great and so glorious and so vastly superior to all good news in the world. Whether health good news or family good news or church good news or job good news or political good news or international good news or financial good news, so vastly superior to all earthly good news and so relentless that you can scarcely feel the full force of it until you take virtually every verse and restate it as it is good news. So it is good news today. I've got good news, believer. You have a new status. I got good news today. You have a new status. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we think about the word condemnation, it means to separate. It means that there's a point now where you will not be separated and discriminated against because of the things that you've done. It's the idea to discriminate, to distinguish, and then to judge or pronounce sentence against. And Matthew 25, 32 gives us the idea of this. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is the idea that there will no longer be a separation for you. You will not be cast aside. You will not be discriminated against because of the sins that are in your life. But your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on a cross. And so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The magnificent statement, as Harry Ironside puts it, 
that opens Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus requires no qualifying clause. Our justification does not depend on our walk. That's good news. The Christian's war with sin does not end until he goes to be with the Lord. Nevertheless, there is still no condemnation because the penalty for all the failures of this life and who of us does not have many, yea, even many every day, has been paid in full at Calvary. When we think about condemnation, we, we have all kinds of images, and I, I have the image of a house that's been condemned. You drive down the road, and you, you might have seen a house that is caving in on itself. The, the roof's falling in. There's, there's a sign that's posted, condemned. No trespassing. Do not go in this house. Basically, what all those signs are saying is this is dilapidated, this is unsanitary, and this is inadequate. It's worth nothing. Dilapidated. It has fallen into ruin. In unsanitary. It's a state of impurity and filth. Inadequate. It is insufficient for its purpose. Is this not how we feel when sin enters our life? Do we not look at ourselves and say, man, I am, I am in ruin. Things are falling apart. I'm unclean. I am inadequate. How could God even use me? And these brothers and sisters are lies for the believer. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means freedom not only from the punishment of sin or the enslaving power of sin, but also from sin's guilt. And I know for a fact that some of us are walking in here with all kinds of guilt today. Guilt from our past sins and our present failures. Guilt that we hide behind when we say, how are you doing today? And we all say, I'm doing good. How about you? We carry guilt from our guilty consciences that we think that, man, there must be something I'm doing wrong because I mess up everything. We carry guilt from non-Christians and unfortunately from judgmental believers who point out our inconsistencies and our failures. We just can't ever measure up. And so we feel like we have to put on a show. We carry a guilt from our past memories and how we once lived that still haunt us. And for some of us in here, we're carrying the consequences of those sins. And consequences is not the same as condemnation. It's just not. And though we've made decisions in our past that we carry, you are not condemned if you're in Christ. What voice are you listening to today, church? Do you listen to the voice of the deceiver and the accuser of the brethren that condemns you? Or do you listen to the fact that Christ has purchased your dilapidated house and he has moved in to make you new? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You're not a dilapidated house anymore. You're not condemned anymore. You're not inadequate anymore. And you're not impure anymore. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, has now chosen to live in you and to make you new from one degree of glory to the next. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you not realize what Paul says in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. Or as we're going to get to in the next few weeks, Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the word dwells is not temporary. He set up his house. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what voice church are you listening to today and more importantly what voice are you speaking are you a voice of condemnation or are you one of liberation when you see the sins of brothers and sisters in Christ what comes out of your mouth are you a voice of condemnation to yourself and others or are you a voice that proclaims the words of Jesus you might have been told by religious church people that you don't belong. You might have been told that you're no good. You might have been told that you're dilapidated and that you're condemned. And that is a lie. And that is a lie of Satan that is repeated by religious people, and I am sorry if you've heard that. As Jesus would say to the religious people in John 8:44, "You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The perfect picture of the words of Jesus come earlier in that chapter, John chapter eight. 3 through 11, as Jesus encounters a woman who's been caught in adultery. Are you familiar with this? The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And go, from now on, sin no more. I say this to tell you, the church needs to be the voice of Christ to those who are wounded with sin. The church is a people and a place for those who are feeling separated from God, worthless, caught, and condemned. And if you feel this way, May God's comfort find you in his house today. The church is a people and a place 
for those who are feeling dilapidated, unsanitary, and inadequate. For those who feel like, I'm no good, who could love me? Jesus Christ, that's who. The church is to speak words of liberation and forgiveness, not words of condemnation and judgment. And I am sorry if they have. The church, corporately and individually, and I say that because you can't expect a church to operate corporately any different than you operate individually. You can't expect a church to operate corporately any different than you operate individually. You understand? The church corporately and individually joins with other brothers and sisters who are in the fight for, of the flesh because we too are fighting the same battle. This means we are not to shoot our wounded, but instead we reprove the wayward. As Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish, reprove, correct the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Because we fight sin in the flesh, not for victory, but from victory because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So do not confuse condemnation with conviction. Don't confuse it with consequences. Don't confuse it with, with conviction. So let me explain the difference. Condemnation points at a person, whereas conviction points at a wrong action, mindset, or belief. Oftentimes, we will point at the person. We will condemn a person based on their character, based on what we think them to be because of sin that has creeped into their life, but we don't point at the person. We point at the action and the belief and the wrong. There's a difference there. So condemnation leads us to feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, and feelings of fear because of what other people are going to say about us. It basically writes you off and others off without any way out or any hope. That's condemnation. Conviction leads to a desired change. It wants your actions to change by showing you the fault without blaming you. So to sum it up, condemnation is the status of someone apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. Conviction is a sign you are living apart from the will of Christ. That's conviction. It's kind of like the illustration, if we were to go to Florida on vacation, and I said, well, let's go down here to I-75, and let's, let's get on the interstate and head that way. But we turn on the off-ramp, and we begin to go up the off-ramp instead of the on-ramp, and we find ourselves going northbound in the southbound lane. You follow me? As you got on the off-ramp, you would notice that there is sign after sign after sign. Hopefully you've not done this, and hopefully you won't do this, but you'll notice quickly that there is a sign that says, wrong way. And about 10 feet further, guess what? There's another sign that says, wrong way. And it's going to continue to say, wrong way, wrong way, wrong way, wrong way. And then you're going to be in traffic. And then you're going to have people yelling at you saying, wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And if you cease to listen to the voices and the words that are saying wrong way, and you continue down that path, it is not a matter of if you'll crash your life. It's a matter of when and how devastating it will be. And for many, we ignore the conviction and we continue down a path thinking we're doing right. 
condemnation is for the one who in spite of the warning signs, in spite of the people in their life yelling at them that they're going the wrong way, they have no internal check in their spirit. And they continue to go in the wrong direction without any remorse, without any repentance, or out without any recognition of wrongdoing even after they have wrecked their life. And these people are condemning themselves. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. As MacArthur would say, there's a reason there's no condemnation. And the reason there's no condemnation has nothing to do with our somehow not deserving condemnation. We do. But with the fact that Jesus bore the condemnation we deserve, and as he has, he has condemned no more, neither are we. We were judged guilty for breaking the law, sin, but sin has been judged in the propitiatory sacrifice and substitutionary atonement of Jesus. So he paid the price and he took our place. Since Jesus is not condemned by the Father, those who are in him are not, will not, and cannot be condemned. Because Jesus Christ offered his body once and for all, Hebrews 10.10. And when he was hanging on the cross in John 19.30, he says, It is finished. That means no condemnation. No condemnation in Christ means that for the believer... Nothing from your past. Nothing from your present. And nothing even in your future will condemn you. Praise the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you have moved from being under Adam to a new nature under Christ, then he judges you not based on your performance and not based on what you do, but on the performance and the work of Christ in your place. Praise be to God. Who will free me from this body of death? God, through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So therefore, it is not our behavior, but our belief that determines our status in Christ. As John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So what you believe will determine your behavior. Our belief should determine our behavior, and what you believe you will determine your behavior. And so if you believe, if you put your whole self in the Christ, it will change you. But if you begin to believe the lies of the enemy, if you begin to believe the lies of the flesh, it will determine your behavior in going the wrong direction. J.D. Greer, as he finishes talking about the end part of John 8, 10 and 11, as he talks to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And he says this, forgiveness is accompanied by change. We find the power to change only in the assurance of his acceptance. The gospel message is not just stop sinning. That would be an impossible message. It is behold the love and acceptance of your God, and then you'll have the power to stop sinning. 
It changes you when you realize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have a new status. Hey, I got more good news real quick. For the believer, you have a new standard. If this is your status, then there's a new standard. A new standard for living. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We've often asked the question when trying to talk to people about salvation, if you die tonight, do you know for certain that you would spend eternity in heaven, right? We've asked that question. Maybe a better question for a believer is, if you get up tomorrow, will your life be different because of the spirit of Jesus that lives inside of you? Because you have a new standard. There's a new status, and now there's going to be a new standard of living. I'm going to live by the spirit. Proverbs says that sometimes we live by the flesh. In 14:12, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And John in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, referring to what the body desires and what feelings you pursue. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Oftentimes, the desires of the flesh become the things that we dwell upon. And the desires of the flesh, are, if they become the things that we dwell upon, they become the feelings that we pursue. And if that's the case, then we're beginning to go opposite of what the Spirit calls us to do, and our belief system begins to lead us in a direction and a behavior that is contrary to God's Word. The desires of the flesh. The second one, the desires of the eyes, is not only referring to those things we literally see, but those things we imagine, those things we dwell upon, those things we lust after and we focus on. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Do you know what it's like to be at war with your thoughts? Do you know what it's like to continually dwell upon things you know are sinful? These are not the things that we should dwell upon. These are not what our eyes should be drawn towards because they lead to death and the pride of life. Doing whatever it takes to be number one. I'm calling the shots. I'm in charge. This is the sinful desire that is driven by self. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the mind that's set on self. It's full of self-will. When we begin to dwell upon the self and dwell upon the flesh, we are full of prioritizing our decisions over God's will. This is what I believe is right, and this is what I believe is good for me, and so my belief will then determine my behavior. Self-gratification, I prioritize my pleasures and my comforts over the will of God. So now I've, I've elevated my decisions, I've elevated my pleasures, and so I'm going to pursue these things even if it is going in the wrong way. And then finally, self-sufficiency. I got this. I've got this. I'm going to prioritize my abilities to handle 
the decisions that I'm making over my dependencies upon Christ. This is a life that is driven by self. And this is how we're going to end in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't say might not please God. It doesn't say sometimes will please God. It's pretty much an absolute. Cannot. If this is the pattern that you're in, you're not pleasing God. If you're living in a selfish, flesh-induced, full of self-will, self-righteousness, self-gratification, self-sufficiency, and seeking to still please God, you cannot. You cannot please God. And the fact that you cannot please God should convict you if you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ and you have no conviction for the way that your life is going, then you might be condemned already because you may not have truly given your life to Christ. I'm going to end with what C.S. Lewis says. Christ says, give me all of you. All of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents and money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you. All of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do here. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit. All your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself. And in exchange... I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Because I will purchase that dilapidated house and I will move in and I will make you a temple for my Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.